Lord, uh, may you lift our hearts in such a way or and open them to a deeper place to really internalize this vision of you that Drew just sang about and all that is good and true and beautiful about you. And then may that vision permeate our hearts for ourselves and for all those around us. We commit our mind, our hearts, and our wills to you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you are in for a treat because you're not only going to get opera, you're also going to get Braveheart. <laughs> We're going to start this morning with a clip from the famous movie Braveheart because my theme this morning, our theme this morning, is freedom. And Mel Gibson, also known in the movie here as William Wallace, does an incredible job of instilling his fellow Scotsmen for, with a vision for their freedom. Uh, William Wallace was a hero of Scotland in the late 1200s who was fighting for the independence and the freedom of Scotland from England. So when we come into the scene, you're going to see William Wallace addressing the troops and inspiring the troops as they face an incredible overing English army. And he wants them to realize the possibility and reality of their freedom. Now, <clears throat> you just witnessed human passion and desire for freedom. But I tell you, there is a much greater passion and desire that God has and is roaring in heaven for your freedom here on earth. Uh, we've been in the book of Isaiah uh, for actually a couple of months and um, we've actually walked with the Israelites through a couple hundred years of their history. 
And, and we've walked with them. We've seen their fears. We've seen their hopes. We've seen their failings. We've seen their, their love for God. We've seen their not trusting God. But one thing, one constant that has been throughout the book of Isaiah, despite the wavering of the Israelites and their unwavering hearts towards God, God has been in relentless, and I mean relentless, he's going to do what he needs to do, whatever it takes, so that they know he loves him. So they know, yes, that he loves them. Now, two weeks ago, uh, when Rich was up here, he spoke about the fact that never for a second are you out of God's thoughts. Remember, he told us God has us engraved in the palms of his hand. And then last week, God said, God began to reveal to us his plan that I am going to make this a reality, that they know they're always in my thoughts. And I am going to come to them myself. I am going to not send more prophets I myself am going to come and show and demonstrate that I love them. So if you'll turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah 61 and also Luke chapter 4. And I hope that by the end of today, you will capture this freedom that God desires for you. Okay, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Anybody? Just, yep, keep those hands nice and high and they will give you a Bible. You want to have your finger in Luke, excuse me, in Isaiah 61 and then Luke chapter 4. First, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Who is this me in this passage? Who is this Savior that is being talked about here? Turn to Luke chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading at verse 16, actually. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture 
is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, to really appreciate that scenario, you have to understand that Jesus, now as an adult, has come back to his hometown, his home synagogue, and he's surrounded by friends and family who knew him as a kid. And in this moment, he is given the turn to read the scripture. He reads this particular scripture from Isaiah and then says, I am he. I am the one who is going to set and proclaim captives free. Their eyes are fastened on him because they're thinking, did he mean that literally? Because they, he can't mean that literally. We know who he is. He's Joseph and Mary's son. He's that little kid we knew growing up. But Jesus, reading their hearts, knowing what they're thinking, said, you condemn yourselves by not believing that I am the one to fulfill this scripture. Now you have to understand too why it would be hard for them to accept that he was the savior. Not only was he this familiar little kid they grew up with, they have been waiting in anticipation and expectation for this moment for hundreds of years. And for this Nazareth kid, now adult, to speak these words, for them, it was blasphemy. Even though they had been hearing about the works that he was doing other places. But the fact that Jesus is able to stand up in the most difficult place with those who are familiar with him, with those who at least think they know him. And this is the place where he is going to proclaim the very purpose, the very purpose he came to this earth, the reason he was born, the reason he lived, the reason he died, the reason he rose, and the reason he sent his Holy Spirit was because to, to proclaim and set the prisoner free. This is an incredible moment. Jesus is declaring what he is all about. And you have to, again, realize this word freedom doesn't just mean freedom from condemnation and guilt, so I know I'm going to heaven. This freedom is very deep freedom. It's a freedom from a domination of sin that you truly do not even think is possible. Today, our popular notion of freedom is do whatever you want. That's how we tend to think of freedom. I get to do whatever I want. But freedom is really freedom doing whatever you want. 
if you have credit cards and you do whatever you want with those credit cards and spend money maybe that you don't have, and then at the end of the month you have creditors calling your house, are you really free? You have sexual urges. We all do. What do you do with those sexual urges? You're free to do whatever you want with them. You're free to have an affair. You're free to have sex outside of marriage. You're free to delve into pornography. But if you can't say no to those things and instead choose that which is good, true, and beautiful, if you're not free to choose, are you really free? You can watch as much television as you want. You can spend as much time in the computer as you want. You're free to worry as much as you want. But if you can't stop any of those things, if you can't say no to those things, even a cup of coffee, are you really free? I want to define freedom for us this morning in this way. I think that freedom is to fulfill the purpose for which you were created, which is to love as God loves. So therefore, freedom is to love as God loves. The whole purpose of Christianity, the whole purpose of Christ's coming, the whole purpose of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is to help us fulfill the purpose for which we are created, for, for, to help us come into congruency with the meaning of our existence. And from Genesis to Revelation, it is to love as God loves. And that's not so easy. It's easily thought about. It's easily said. But love is something that cannot just dwell in outward behavior. Love is much more than skin deep or outward behavior. You know you can be doing the right thing on the outside, but in your heart you are having evil thoughts, right? Well, Jesus said, I came to not give you more rules. I came to give you new hearts. It is the only way that we will be able to accomplish our life purpose is through a new heart because nobody can love like God loves without a new heart. Now, in the beginning, Adam and Eve, our original parents, the original human beings, were created with pure hearts. And they could love each other the way God loved them. It was incredible. They're loving at each other. They're loving each other and they're looking at each other and they're thinking of each other and they're treating each other exactly how God would treat them, love them, think of them. 
But when they had a moment in which they needed to trust the love of God or doubt the love of God, they chose to doubt, and their hearts became twisted. Their hearts became impure. They were no longer able to love with pure hearts. They were now no longer looking at each other, treating each other in their hearts anyway, the way that God did. And so God came to earth to untwist our hearts, to really change our hearts, to give us new hearts so that we could love like he loves. Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Adam and Eve did need laws when they had a pure heart. But after the fall, we needed laws and commandments to, kind, to, to restrain our hearts and to actually lead us to the need for a Savior, knowing that I, can, I can't love like God loves, and I need a new heart. Christ came to conquer the work of the devil and to, lead, to breathe into us his very life and his love, to breathe that life and love through the Holy Spirit into our hearts, so that we can once again begin to not just do good things, but in our hearts desire what is good, true, and beautiful. If you desire what's good, true, and beautiful, you don't need the commandments. So let's look at this. Because we do live in a world of already not yet tension, as theologians call it. In other words... Christ has proclaimed freedom for the prisoner. It is a reality. It is a truth that most of us do not live in. But our hearts will never be perfectly pure until we get to heaven. But there is so much more freedom for you than you realize. It's not going to happen in an instant. Growth in freedom, true freedom, is a process. I kind of uh, like to think of it as I go from crawling to standing, and then ultimately I want to walk in my freedom. But we do begin many times by crawling first, then standing, and then walking. Down through church history, our past brothers and fathers of the faith that really persevered in following Christ, paid attention to this process of growing in freedom. And they were able to identify three stages we go through to reach this freedom, to really begin walking and, and, uh, and realize this freedom. And the first one is called the purgative stage. And that's where you actually have entered into an appreciation for the commandments and observing the commandments or the rules, so to speak. Obviously, there's some people that never even get to this stage. 
They have total disregard or irrelevancy uh, for the commandments. They don't, they don't make sense or why should they keep them or they see their freedom as doing whatever they want. They really don't understand true freedom. But the purgative stage is when I've actually, I got into awareness of, oh, well, this commandment is going to help me move towards walking in love, developing a pure heart where I can love as God loves. But the second stage is then called the illuminative stage. And it's called the illuminative stage because when I'm in the purgative stage and I begin to appreciate the commandments, but then I begin to see, you know, there's a lot behind this commandment. And I begin to have for me the value behind the commandment illumined, illuminated. And I began to see what's the value and the purpose behind the commandment. And as I internalize the purpose behind the commandment, the life-givingness of the commandment, I began to, ha I began to have a desire. So I'm not just now doing the commandment because I should. I'm now doing the commandment with a desire in my heart. Lord, I really want to, I desire what's good, true, and beautiful. I don't just want to not murder people with my words. I'm desiring to really honor them and respect them. And then I move into the unitive stage. And this is dynamite power, where you experience the reality of your freedom. Your heart begins to be permeated with the light of Christ. And that light just permeates outward for those around you, for everything and everyone around you. And you really begin to be able to love as God loves. So let's look at a couple of commandments to see how it works. So for example, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But Jesus says, your heart is called to much more than not literally murdering. Now, we do have laws in our land so that people don't murder. As a matter of fact, a lot of our traffic laws are around protecting life, not endangering the safety of others, right? Don't go over the speed limit. Don't drink and drive. Don't talk on a cell phone or text while you're driving because that could be endangering life. Last February in Britain, a young 22-year-old woman by the name of Philippa Curtis was sentenced to a high-security woman's, woman's prison for causing the death of another woman. She was sending and receiving texts when her car, at 60 miles an hour, crashed into the back of another young woman's disabled car on the side of the road. And it was from texting. Now, I don't think Philippa ever thought of herself, so to speak, as a murderer. But I hope that she will get to a stage for her to grow in freedom inside of her heart. Because again, it's not the behavior that counts. It's what's going on in your heart. And I hope that she will internalize the value behind do not murder, which is, oh, I don't want to 
going to ever do anything that would even put anyone in danger around me, that would sacrifice the safety of anyone around me. We know she's moving from purgative to illuminative when she not only begins to say, I don't want to endanger anybody, I want to do everything I can to respect life and not endanger it. And then we know she's moving to the unitive stage when in her heart she would rather die than endanger the life of somebody else because she wants to love as God loves. Here's another do not murder. This is my example. I uh, have a big pet peeve in my house, and it's I want my family to clean up after themselves. And uh, I don't like going in having to clean up after other people's messes. And so when I see a mess, I can murder with body language. I can murder with a look. I can murder with a word. Right? Words kill looks kill, tones of voice kill, because contempt kills. And so for me, entering the purgative stage was saying, after I would use a tone of voice with contempt and, and see maybe the hurt or the wound or the reaction, it might have came out, come out as anger for my daughters, but it really was, it was a hurt and a wound. And I'd say, God, I want to stop this. And I'd apply my will. Lord, I want to apply my will to not do this. And I'd begin practicing. See the mess? Shut your mouth. See the mess? Shut your mouth. See the mess? Watch your face. <laughs> and as I began to do that, I realized something was happening in my heart. I was going deeper than just beyond will. I was desiring to really do what is good, true, and beautiful in this situation. I really, I really want to do what's good, true, and beautiful, even when they leave messes. And then one day, I knew I was free. Walk into the kitchen, there's a mess. I see it. I look at my daughter. I see the light of Christ. I'm looking at her and I say to myself in my heart, I would rather die a thousand deaths than violate her dignity with a contemptuous word, with a wounding word. And in that moment, I knew I was free. Someone after first service said, well, did you make her clean up the mess? <laughs> the mess was irrelevant after that. All that was relevant was, I want to love you as God loves you. How about don't commit adultery? 
You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, your heart is called to not even lust. 80%, this is a statistic I recently heard, 80% of the internet traffic is pornography. Can you take that in? 80% multi-billion dollar industry. And the only reason I mention that is, is because that means, I think, that there would be several of us in this room that would either be dabbling in the pornography or addicted to it. So what's it going to mean for you to move through these stages? What's it going to mean for you to get free? Is this freedom real? Can I really get free from these kinds of lusts and compulsions and addictions? God says yes. Now, it may take time and it may take help, but this is why Jesus came, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners of the domination of sin, the sin of anger and hate and contempt and lust. But what's it going to mean for a person to move through these stages that, is, that is, needs to come out of prison to lust? They need to get a vision for what God intended for the human person and the human body. And that is, a human person can never, ever, 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 ever be reduced to just biology or just science. When you look at a body, we're supposed to see body spirit. If you're just seeing body, that's animal. Human beings are body spirits. God's image lives in them. They are meant to be inviolable. I need a grand vision for the inviolability and the irreducibility of the human person. I need it. We all need it. Then we won't dismiss people. We won't ignore people. We won't treat anybody as if they are unworthy of love. And we won't use them as objects for our kicks. He came to set you free. How about keep the Sabbath? You know, you've heard it said, keep the Sabbath. But Jesus is calling your heart to rest. So what this looked like for Pete and I a number of years ago was before our sabbatical seven years ago or so, when we took a sabbatical around the contemplative tradition, we sort of did Sabbaths. I think we think we did Sabbaths. We did them because we think we should do them. So we sort of had a day where we, I don't even know how to explain it, but it was half a day of kind of work and probably half a day of rest. But it wasn't until we went on our sabbatical in the contemplative tradition and got exposed to the true meaning of Sabbath. And when I got a vision for Sabbath, I said, hmm, we said, you know, let's try this again. Let's try and do it 
the way it's been explained to us. Let's really try and set aside, so we moved into the purgative stage. Let's really try and set aside this 24 hours. But I'm telling you, it was by faith. It was really hard. I wasn't used to stopping completely, you know? Oh, I'll, do, I'll, I'll dabble in this, I'll dabble in a little work, and then we'll rest. Or It was kind of a, a mixed bag. But to really trust in God, it was by faith in that purgative state. I'm going to do this by faith. So we began to stop and rest and delight and contemplate. And something began to happen in our hearts. Our hearts began to experience life. And then our hearts began to change. And we began to desire more the good, the true, and the beautiful. And we saw the essence of the commandment. Holy smokes! This is about God doesn't want to use us or abuse us. He wants us to really rest in him. It's also about trusting in him. It's also about looking forward to our eternal rest where I'm not going to work, where I am going to be, well, I may be working and serving, but I'm going to be delighting and celebrating. And I would say today we are walking in our freedom in the Sabbath. It is no longer a have to. As a matter of fact, I can't imagine living without Sabbath. I don't even know how we did it before. But there is such a freedom and there's such a life and there's a such of love that's born in keeping the Sabbath the rest of the six days. Because I start getting harried during the rest of the week. I start worrying about things. And then I think back to my rest in God and the Sabbath. And I just get perspective about what's important in life. Life and love. And then I'll finish with one more. Don't have idols. You've heard that it was said, don't have any other idols before God. But I say to you, your heart is called to much, something much greater. Your heart is called to have nothing rule it. Let there be no love and no other fear that rules your heart but the love of God. I have a lot of idols in my heart. One in particular is food. I love food. I mean, I really, 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 I love food. I mean, what's there not to enjoy about food? And one spiritual discipline I really struggle with from time to time is fasting. The very word fasting would make me immediately think, food. <laughs> I immediately would want to eat every time I even thought of the word. And God had been really working in my heart. But I didn't want to do it. It's too hard. And then one day at staff meeting, I see Peter Roden picking up this big high-calorie snack. Actually, it wasn't probably even big, but it was a, I knew it was a high-calorie snack. And he's eating this high-calorie snack. And I said, Peter, how do you keep your figure? And he goes, fasting. I fast on Tuesdays. That's all I needed. Conviction and inspiration came in a moment. I said, okay. 
I'm going to start fasting. Next Tuesday, I start fasting. Okay? 11 o'clock, I'm, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> 3 o'clock, it's torture. I mean, really, it's kind of, it was torturous. By 7 o'clock, I'm thinking, hey, just a couple hours till bedtime. Then I can wake up and eat. The next day I woke up, food had lost its hold on me in a sense. I wasn't dying to eat. Matter of fact, I notice when I fast now, I look at food very differently. My heart now has this desire to appreciate food. I eat more slowly the rest of the week. I'm picky about what I'm putting in my mouth when I eat. I celebrate God in those bites of food that I do take. And so fasting is an incredible way to, to really actually go through these stages because I want to be able to say no to something so I can say yes to really the life and the love behind it. I want to remind you, the purpose of your life is to love as God loves. And that's why Isaiah 61 says, I am sending you a Savior to set you free, free, free. What are some practical steps we can take to begin walking in these stages? One, hide nothing. Hide nothing from the light of Christ. You cannot walk in freedom when you are not absolutely, totally, 1,000% truthful, truthful in your heart to yourself, to God, and maybe you need to confide to a trusted other. Hide nothing from the light of Christ. You can continue to sin and not seek healing or transformation. You can do that, but you'll never be free. Becoming brutally honest, exposing all that's in your heart and mind to the light of Christ is a first big step. And Jesus isn't like us. He's not going to judge you. He's not going to criticize you. He's not going to condemn you. He came to heal you. Truth sets us free. Truth and freedom go hand in hand. If one perishes, they both perish. Secondly, receive help. A Native American elder once described his own inner struggle in this way. Inside of me are two dogs. One of the dogs is mean and evil. The other dog is good. The mean dog fights the good dog all the time. When asked which dog wins, he reflected for a moment and replied, the one I feed the most. But the Spirit of God came down from heaven to pour out his life and love into your hearts if you will receive. 
Again, it's not going to happen overnight. But will you put yourself in places and positions and postures where you're even able to receive and willing to receive the help? It's not easy loving someone I have differences with. Who's going to bless those who persecute you? But we need to learn ways of enlarging our heart to receive the love of God. And that's why, yes, some of you are going to need professional help to grow in your freedom to love as God loves. Some of us are in small groups, and hopefully they're helping us. And that's why we offer so many workshops here at New Life Fellowship. Rich and Drew's class in December is going to expose you to the love of God. The Expectations Workshop is going to help you get rid of faulty assumptions so you and others don't suffer unnecessarily. Marriage equipping all next spring so I can really, really see my spouse in a way that if I was to ever, I'd rather die a thousand deaths than violate their dignity. And I could go on and on. But there are things available. Receive the help. Next, reject the lies. You and I are so bombarded with lies every day that we don't even realize they're lies. And, but what's really sad is they really do impact the way you think. And the way you think impacts the way you feel, and the way you feel impacts your behavior. Here are some lies to think about that Satan really wants you to believe. Number one lie, God is a tyrant, and he does not want your good all the time. Doubt God. Do not trust that God is gift. Do not believe that God is a love gift, always, always, always wanting your good. And really doubt it when the going gets rough. That's a big lie. Lie number two. People are commodities to be used. It is very easy to see people as objects. That means I can use them, I can ignore them, I can manipulate them. It's very easy to just kind of pass over people and not see them as human beings made in the image of God. Oh Lord, help us see the difference between truth and counterfeit. We have counterfeit spirituality. We have counterfeit sexuality. We have counterfeit love. We have counterfeit true, good, and beautiful. God, help us to see the counterfeit. Help us to see that which is going to be eternal and not just passing. And finally, remain in God's love. If there is one of these next steps I would choose for you, but I'm not choosing, you're going to choose, because really the most important one is the one that God is coming to you personally through. But if I had to choose the most important one, it would be this one. Forget about it. You can't do this. You cannot love as God loves if I don't have God's love in me. If I am not abiding in the love of God. Jesus Christ loved us like his Father loved us. Why? Not because he was God. Because he, while he was on this earth, was abiding. He was attached to the vine. He was constantly abiding in the Father's love. 
That's why he could go to the cross and still be thinking of us. You and I, you can't do it. You can't. I'm telling you, you can't. You can't love others like God loves. You can't. Unless you remain in the Father's love. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. While they're doing that, I want you to think about the rule of life. Here at Newton Life Fellowship, we talk about the rule of life. And the rule of life, the purpose of the rule of life is it's a structure uh, and a rhythm that enables me to put myself in places and postures and positions to receive the love of God. So I want you to think for the next 30 seconds, I'm going to give you about 30 think about which one of these practical next steps do you need to take to grow in your freedom to love as God loves? Take a few moments. As they sing, as we sing, as we worship, as we respond to God, please take these few moments and pay attention to where did God come to you in this message? Was it in the beginning? Was it in the middle? Was it the end? What were the words where you had aha moments? How is God coming to you so that you can begin to be more free, to be set free to love as God loves.
Let's all stand, everyone. says be not afraid I did not come to condemn you I came to heal you I came to enlarge your hearts I came to pour out my spirit of life and love to you receive me Christianity is not do's and don'ts if we live our life that way we will fail to experience the transformation of heart I am not the same person I was 15 years ago. I am not the same person I was 10 years ago or even five years ago. And oh my Lord in heaven, may I not be the same person five years from now. May my heart be ever changing. So as we close here in this word freedom, which really was a Jesus has come to offer freedom for the captives. I get greatly concerned that we have an over-theology of total depravity, that we can't get free, and that's a lie from hell. So as we close here, we've got the Lord's table to your right. You come and participate, eat and drink of Jesus, take him in. But I want to reiterate, Jesus has come to set you free. He really has come to set you free. That's why he died and rose and sent the Holy Spirit that you be the man, the woman he really intends for you, and that you actually can love God and love people the way you were created to. In your heart of hearts, there is a deep yearning for freedom. And we are here proclaiming to you that Jesus is alive. He is in this place. He has your number of your hairs and your head numbered, and he is calling you by name. So we've got some altar teams over here to your left. Worship team is going to stay. We'll keep it quiet in this room. We can chat downstairs. But if you're here today and you need a new heart, I want to invite you to come forward. Because Jesus alone can give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you or you become a new person and begin a walk of freedom. You please come. 
And you know who you are, balcony and first floor. And I want to speak as well to those of you, you are a Christian. You are born again. You know Christ. But your heart is stone. And for some reason, you've allowed some chains to lock you up. Jesus came to proclaim freedom for the captives. And you are now captive. And he wants to set you free. So as we close, please come to this altar. Let us anoint you with oil that God will break a chain off you. He'll heal you and deliver you through his power. Okay, so I'm going to pray. The altar teams are going to stay here as long as we need to stay here at this altar, praying and anointing with oil. Bow your heads. Open up your hands up towards heaven. Let's receive a blessing from God as we go from here. And so, Lord, I pray and ask that you might breathe over this wonderful group of people in this room whom you knit together in their mother's womb, whom you've created for freedom. And so may God's face shine upon you. May his power fall on you. May the Holy Spirit fill you. May God grant your heart hope in what he's able to do in and through you. And may you become the man and woman he's called you to be. May your life be marked supernaturally by a power that's from heaven itself. And may as you leave this place and go to work tomorrow and go home and be with your family and friends, even those who don't even like you, who may be judging you, may be your enemies today, may the love of Jesus flow out of you to them. May the aroma of Christ himself be the smell that you carry wherever you go. So be blessed, be healed, be delivered, be saved this day, and be set free in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless everyone. Have a wonderful day. Please come forward as we close. Thank you.